It's day number four of the NBA preview show on Locked On NBA. Today we're in the Eastern Conference. The Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron. Detroit with their two bigs. Can Indiana recreate what they did a year ago? Where are the North... New York Knicks going, but it doesn't matter because James Marcotta is so much fun. The Orlando Magic have new leadership, and the Philadelphia 76ers are the flavor of the year. It's all coming up on our day four of the NBA preview show on Locked on NBA. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA. This is day number four of the local experts giving you the breakdown on their NBA team. If you're stopping by for the first of the shows, then let me give you a quick little rundown how it goes. We will stop in with each of the NBA experts of their teams, the Locked On Podcast Network hosts, as we have a local show for every NBA team. And they will answer for us the key questions, the storylines of the season, the best and worst case scenarios, the player to be thought of differently at the end of the season than they are today, the players whose career trajectory has going to have the biggest impact, rookies, and then how they guess the season will end. I'll pop back on and give you points gained. That's our proprietary stat about each of these teams, points gained is premised off the average NBA player. If an average player uses 10 scoring opportunities a night, they should score a certain amount of points. What does a player do in contrast to the average player? We've ranked every team, projected them based on that number system. And then Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball will stop by and give us his take on the fantasy projection for that team's players. The team going through the biggest change is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's check in and be joined by Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers and find out about LeBronless Cavaliers era two. Hello, this is Chris Manning from the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights, and you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Locked On Cavs. If you want to follow along with my writing, FearlessOrder.com, SB Nation's Cavs, that is the place to do it. So going to run you through some of the big Cavs storylines as we get close to the NBA season and getting started. Uh, first, looking at two Let's go with three big storylines. Number one, I think the the big thing is what does the Cavs youth movement result in? Do Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman shine? Do uh, does Ante Zizic get a chance to play? Does Larry Nance, if you want to include him in there, take a leap forward? That that is one big thing. And Jetty and Sexton are really the head of this class. They are really at the 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 forefront of this. And if they are good, it'll mean a lot. If they they struggle or, or look to be bad, that'll be a problem for the Cavs. Number two is what does Kevin Love look like as the lead option this year? Uh, the Cavs are in a position where they've paid him a lot of money. They've made him the face as of right now in a post-LeBron world. So can he carry them to competence? And can he carry them to perhaps what they, what they hope is a playoff seed? And look, the the big our overarching story of the Cavs is going to be can they be competent without LeBron? Uh, can this be a team that finds some level or definition of success without the best player? This is a, a franchise that has not made the playoffs in over 20 years. That's two decades. I believe it's this 22 years at this point without LeBron James on its roster. No playoffs without LeBron for this Cavs team. It would mean a lot if they could do it and, and give them something, I think, to, to hang their hat on a little bit if they could make the playoffs without LeBron. So what would need to happen for the best case near to happen, which in my mind is probably sneaking into the playoffs. I think you need a monster year from Kevin Love. You need something resembling Minnesota Kevin Love. You need him averaging a double-double, playing over 30 minutes a night, and, and being an all-star caliber player. Colin Sexton, I think, needs to be good right away. I, I think that would be be a, a big bonus for this team. Jetty Osman has to be good right away. And Rodney Hood would need to, I think, be a key component for this team. They need a shot creation. They need a scoring. So they would need a big year uh, for Rodney Hood, who is in a contract year. Uh, so I just think you need health. Uh, you need you need some of your veterans to kind of stay stable and be productive. And Larry Nance taking a step forward would help, too. Um, so what could lead to the worst case scenario, which in my, which it, it's tough to call it the worst case scenario because if they're bad, they'll get a high lottery pick and that would, I think, be good for them. But uh, if they're bad and let's say Sexton's bad and Osman's bad, that would be bad. And if Kevin Love can't be that same guy and they paid him a lot of money and maybe he's not tradable or maybe he's not even worth that contract, if all of that happens at once, 
things could get bleak in a hurry. I think on paper, this is a team in a franchise much better set up than they were last time LeBron left. But if those couple things go bad, then they're going to be in a hurry. The player in my mind most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season is without question, Jetty Osman. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you follow me on Twitter, I am very high on him. He is someone that I think is very exciting. This is a guy that is going to push the ball up the floor. He's going to try to score. He's going to try to create for others. He's going to play hard, go 100 miles an hour all the time. They're going to throw a lot at him this year. He Last year, I think Ty really gained, Tyron Lue gained a respect for Jetty because he went out and defended. He went out and hustled even when he didn't play very much or would play in a random game. This year, they're starting him at the three. Uh, he's going to, I think, defend the, the best opposing wing player every night. They're going to ask him to push the ball up the floor, to create, to lead fast breaks, to do a little bit of everything, and he's going to be really fun. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to, I think, have a ceiling on how good he can really be. But Jetty's really fun. Jetty is a very interesting player, and I think he does not have quite have the profile of a Sexton right now, and I think he's just going to be in a position to do a lot of fun stuff. He, he's a, he can make some highlight plays, and I'm curious to see how it sort of plays out. So he, to me, is the easy answer there. Uh, whether you When you look at this season, I think there isn't a ton of players that stand out as having their whole career defined by this season on this Cavs team, but I think Rodney Hood is, is the guy that really is. He's in a contract here, couldn't come to an agreement with the Cavs this summer uh, in terms for a long-term deal, abstract free agent. He's betting on himself. If he has a bad season, if he can't really succeed in a situation where he's going to be asked and given it all the opportunities in the world to succeed, he's not going to get paid next summer. This is a guy that should be heading into the prime of his career, should be living up to his potential now. If he can't do it this year, then I think maybe we just have to, to set sail on Rodney Hood. But if he has a really big year, takes a step forward, he could be in line for a big payday next summer. And I, I think he is the most on the line this season. Everyone else is sort of locked in or will be locked in at least for another year, is going to at least still be making a lot of money. He's the one guy that really has a contract and his future on the line this year. Uh, the Cavs have obviously one rookie that will make a big impact. That's Colin Sexton. He's not going to start right away. I, I hope that eventually he does start. I'm curious to see what we don't really know yet, what kind of leash tie is going to have on him, uh, how much he will let Sexton go and make mistakes, or if he'll cap his minutes. My hope for for him is that he gets to play a lot, is that he gets to make mistakes and learn and play with George Show, play with Kevin Love. That would really give him a chance to make an impact on the team. Do I think he's the reason that they would make the playoffs? Maybe not, but I think he could help. And I, and I think it's better for the long-term health of the franchise if they start finding out what he is now as opposed to holding it off. Um, it would not shock me if it's sort of like what the situation George Hill was in last year with the Kings where he is you know, starting ahead of Darren Fox and eventually cedes the position to the younger guy. In this case, obviously, Con Sexton. My best, and, and of no, Billy Preston um, is a two-way player. He's in the can charge. Keep an eye on him as well. He's a came out of college, highly touted. The Cavs are going to really try to develop him. Uh, as far as I can tell, I think the Cavs want to make the playoffs. But my best guess of how the season ends is that this is the team that's going to miss the playoffs. The Cavs are going to be a lottery team. I think it keeps it lets them keep the Hawks pick that they owe one of the next two years. It's top 10 protected. I think they will have some really good moments. I think they're going to play hard. They're going to play faster, at least. But there are going to be a lot of mistakes. I think they're going to be an abomination on defense. I think this is going to be one of the worst 10 teams in the league, maybe one of the worst seven teams in the league. They're going to be back in the lottery, but I don't think that's an all bad thing. Like, again, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. The podcast is on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. Thank you for listening to this preview. I have been Chris Manning. Cheers. He has been Chris Manning. I don't know who he's becoming now. So points gained, which has no emotional value, no knowledge of how they're going to play their players, just simply looks at the players they have, likes the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, this is probably where points gained is somewhat flawed in that it doesn't understand the impact of LeBron creating open shots and the basic fundamental belief in points gained is that you are not going to have, the teammates don't impact other teammates' efficiency, and that is generally true unless LeBron is playing. But with that said, Kevin Love is fabulous. Points gained, 1.6. Kyle Korver, 1.3. Ante Zizic in limited time is positive. Larry Nance is positive. Channing Frye is positive. George Hill is positive. Uh, Osmond is positive. Tristan Thompson is positive. Rodney Hood's average. J.R. Smith is average. Jordan Clarkson was only slightly below average. And 
uh, Nawaba is right on average. So what they have is this really interesting group of players, which might entirely be predicated based on the fact that LeBron created this for them. But if it's not that, and all of them are average or slightly above, Cleveland's got a chance to be a really good offensive team, much better than anyone's anticipating, and that's what our projection system has. But as I said, it could seriously be flawed because it does not project the fact that LeBron is no longer there. We agree. We have them ranked as the 26th-ranked defensive team in the league, and we do have them also, though, as a top-10 offensive team, and have the Cleveland Cavaliers as sneaking in front of the Charlotte Hornets to make the playoffs. Probably not going to happen also because they'll turn the page to not try to compete the same way and some other things, but at least just an interesting possibility. From a fantasy standpoint, there are all sorts of points, rebounds, and assists wide open, so this should be interesting from Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. One of the biggest unknowns in the NBA for fantasy is the Cleveland Cavaliers. How are the minutes going to be distributed? What is Ty Lue going to do with this team without LeBron James? I feel pretty good that Kevin Love, if he stays healthy, is a second-round player. Should see the minutes, the usage, the uh, the assist numbers, the scoring, all that stuff should rise this year. Maybe there's a hit in some of his efficiency, but I think he is going to be a strong option to be a top-20 player, and you can actually draft him much later than that pick 32 on Yahoo, which I think is a good steal. I don't know what they're going to do with Larry Nance. They should start him, and if they do, he's a top 100 type of a player, so very strong to get him around that mark of of, uh, about pick 100 where he's going on Yahoo. And then the rest of it, it's just so up in the air. George Hill will likely start, but how long until Colin Sexton gets the nod? Now, I don't think that Sexton is much as as a top 100 guy, even in 30 minutes per game. Low threes, low assists, low steals, low efficiency is going to keep him from being a productive fantasy guy. Hill can be a top 50 player, but injuries in low minutes might restrict him. The flyer guy I do like here is Chetty Osman, who I think is probably the favorite to take over the starting three position from LeBron James. He's been excellent in Europe and in Summer League, can pass the ball, can shoot, can score, can do many different things. So he is an excellent late-round pick. And if you want to go back to that well again, maybe look at Rodney Hood as a guy that can score. But he does he does lack in many other areas. And I would take Osman over Hood in, in majority of situations unless I'm needing more scoring because I think that Hood will provide more than that. Guys like J.R. Smith, Jordan Clarkson, Tristan Thompson, I don't think that they're worth drafting in uh, in your standard or even most uh, mid-sized fantasy leagues. I just don't see the production from any of those guys for this coming season. Well, we opened episode three of the NBA preview telling you that points gained love the Pelicans, had them as a home court team. That's kind of our big take and surprise there. And we opened at number four with a similar big take. So then we'll open with the Warriors tomorrow and just tell you that we think they're going to win it. We'll see what happens with Cleveland. Should be worth watching, particularly early in the season. They're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder, and maybe there's a chance they're a little better than people realize. An interesting team is the Detroit Pistons. They made the big Blake Griffin trade. Let's find out where the Pistons season preview takes us. What is happening? This is your boy, Matt Shook, the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, and looked. While I have the attention of sports fans around the world, I just want to say this. These are bad times for your friends who root for Detroit sports. This is a proud sports town that is just living in agony right now. The Pistons, you know the Pistons, very uninteresting, certainly not a championship contender, right in the middle of NBA mediocrity right now. This is the best sports situation of any of the four major Detroit sports professional teams. This is the high mark. I know, and I know that every fan base thinks that they're the tortured one, uh, sometimes, but it's almost worse when it's a town that's used to winning, to competing for titles, to winning titles, and it's going through this muck that we're going through right now for a decade or so. It just feels brutal. The Tigers' terrible season just ended. The Pistons and the Red Wings are starting seasons that appear to be going nowhere before they start. The Detroit Lions are the Detroit Lions. It's just brutal. So if you have a Detroit sports fan in your life, maybe, I don't know, send a card, give a hug, Whatever you can think of to brighten their day, they could certainly use it. Going through the bullet points here provided by the Lockdown NBA guys, the two or three biggest storylines going into camp for the Pistons, Dwayne Casey was hired as the new head coach after Stan Van Gundy was fired by owner Tom Gores. In addition, Ed Stefanski comes over from Memphis to direct an eclectic front office, although he doesn't really have a title. He's obviously running the show. He's not the general manager or the team president yet. He's the special advisor to owner Tom Gores. Casey's hire brings a lot of questions, although 
in Pistons fandom, everyone seems pretty excited to bring the reigning coach of the year on board, as they should be. But how will he get Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin to fit cohesively on the roster, on the court at the same time? Also, the Pistons had a little bit of a minor upgrade on the margins with the wing positions, adding Glenn Robinson the third in free agency, and also Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, in addition to some veteran pickups in free agency of Zaza Pachulia in the front court and also Jose Calderon in the back court. The other big story that's sweeping Pistons Nation right now, Andre Drummond, yes, two-time All-Star Andre Drummond, known most for rebounding and putbacks and finishing alley-oops, is working on shooting three-pointers. The big man spent a lot of the offseason working on long-range jump shots. That's the storyline around the Pistons in a lot of days. And watching the Oklahoma City broadcast, apparently they, had, they hadn't heard about it. So if you're hearing about the Pistons right now for the first time this offseason, Andre Drummond might be throwing up three-pointers, and it was ugly in the first preseason game. We will see how this transpires as the season opener nears October 17th against the Brooklyn Nets. So that's what's going on uh, with Pistons fans right now. And again, another reason to maybe send a hug the way to your favorite Detroiter. For the best-case scenario, and I'll let you guys behind the, the curtain a little bit here, when David Locke, the founder and Locked on Jazz broadcaster, the guy that we all love as a boss here on the Lockdown Network, when he sent along these prompts for the previews, he mentioned, don't stay healthy. Of course, the best case scenario is stay healthy. The worst case scenario would be injuries. But I'll tell you this, with the Detroit Pistons, you could probably make an exception and let it slide, being that the fortunes of the franchise right now are tied with Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, two guys who haven't stayed on the court much over these last few years. But be that as it may, I will say that Luke Kennard and Stanley Johnson taking large steps forward in development. Rookie Bruce Brown supplanting Ish Smith as the backup point guard, playing real minutes this year as a defensive disruptor in the backcourt. And yes, even Henry Ellenson and John Lure stepping up as quality depth in the front court. If all those things happen and <clears throat> health for Blake and Reggie, this could be a team that ends up competing for home court advantage in the first round in a weak Eastern Conference. That's a lot of fairly unreasonable asks. As far as worst case scenario, if Drummond continues to get neutered and the acquisition of Blake Griffin from the trade deadline last year continues to hurt the development of Andre, the things that he added to his game last year, the ability to play in the high post, if Drummond just is expected to be just a rim runner and rim protector, which he hasn't really been throughout his career so far, then that would really be a thing that hurts the development of the 25-year-old. So Dwayne Casey's got to figure out a way to have those guys coexist. The player most likely to be thought differently at the end of the season, I'm going to go with Reggie Bullock. He's entering free agency next year. And with another solid year as a good 3 and D guy, he will be sought over by teams around the league looking for a cheap fix as far as a possible starting player with even uh, top teams that, uh, you know, he would be probably the fifth starter on a very good team, but a guy you could stick in the starting lineup and not have too much of a problem with. The player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, there are a lot of Pistons fans that are really excited about Luke Kennard. He was an okay player as a rookie. He has a chance to be a solidly good player, but not a huge ceiling or anything. But that's the hope that we're resorting to as Pistons fans right now, that Luke Kennard turns into Larry freaking Bird or something like that. But along those lines, I will say that Stanley Johnson is the player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season. He's entering restricted free agency in year four next summer, and it looks like he's in great shape from the preseason so far, as you would expect with a guy in the contract year. So I'll say that good things could be coming for Stanley Johnson, especially the big question being whether he can consistently knock down open three-pointers and whether he becomes a consistent offensive player for the Pistons, adding to what is usually a pretty strong defensive game for him. Rookies that will have an impact and how much, there's not much. The Pistons had to trade their first-round draft pick in the Blake Griffin deal, ended up with trading for a second-round pick from the Philadelphia 76ers. So got Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, a couple of shooting guards. Bruce Brown could be more of a point guard in the NBA as time goes on, but a couple of pretty nice prospects that in most years, a little bit less of a deep draft, those guys might have been end-of-first-round picks. So the Pistons feel pretty good about a couple of prospects there with Kyrie Thomas, the shooter from Creighton, who's a very good defensive player, and Bruce Brown out of Miami as well. My best guess on how this season ends I think that they're going to get 40 wins, be just under 500 for the season, get the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference right over the Miami Heat and just below the teams that everyone else is picking in the top six in the Eastern Conference. I think that the Pistons get bounced in the first round in five games by the Philadelphia 76ers, which sounds like a beating, a five-game series, and it will be. But importantly, and it's debatable that this is an important thing, the Pistons will win their first playoff game 
in more than a decade. Yeah, that's right. The Detroit Pistons, the bad boys, the going-to-work Pistons, have not won a playoff game since the spring of 2008. So hopefully that is something that gets rectified this season for Dwayne Casey and the Detroit Pistons. This has been your host of the Locked on Pistons podcast, Matt Shook. Find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore for that. And enjoy the season, everyone. Well, Dwayne Casey will bring a great culture, and he brings something that is vastly underrated, which is that of getting a team to play hard every single night. Points gained does not agree with Matt Shook. Points gained has Detroit as one of the worst offenses in all of the NBA. 28th, in fact, offensively. Why would that be the case on this team? Well, let's walk down the road for you for a second. Andre Drummond, despite being mammoth and playing around the rim, is only an average offensive player. Luke Kennard was average. Reggie Bullock was a positive points game player. And every other player in their rotation is at least negative .5. Blake Griffin has lost all of his efficiency. John Lohr, Ish Smith, Glenn Robinson, Henry Ellison if he plays. Reggie Jackson is a minus 1.1, so despite putting up points, it looks like he's doing well, but with the scoring opportunities he's getting, he's below the league average, what an average player. Points gain means, good example here, Reggie Jackson's using 14 scoring opportunities a game. If an average player were to use those, or if they were distributed amongst average players, they would score 1.1 points per game more than Reggie Jackson. Stanley Johnson's a minus 1.4. These are one of those times where, this points gain system is evolving and will be interesting to see both Cleveland and Detroit. I think you're probably listening with a feeling of like, oh, I'm not sure I buy that. I can understand that. Uh, but it will be interesting to remember this and see whether or not, as we look back, it comes together. It's been a pretty good projection of offenses so far. So we have Detroit as the 14th ranked offense in the Eastern Conference, the seventh ranked defense, and taking them to the 11th spot in the Eastern Conference and not making the playoffs. Uh, 28th ranked offense overall in the NBA this year. Dwayne Casey will hopefully do more. They're shooting a lot of threes in the preseason. From a fantasy standpoint, Josh Lloyd gives his his take. The Detroit Pistons, uh, some interesting uh, changes in the in the coaching department for this team. Andre Drummond was excellent last season, but we have to remember he did drop off when Blake Griffin arrived, and those assist numbers tumbled back to what had been previous career levels there. The free throw percentage improved, but it didn't take him away from being a punt free throw percentage guy. So we have to remember that, and he is being overvalued in some situations. I wouldn't take him inside the first two rounds. As for Griffin, it's all going to come down to injuries. He's going to get a lot of assists. He's hitting threes now. He's going to score. The efficiency from the field might be a concern and the lack of defensive numbers, but he's a strong top 50-ish type of a guy, but depends on how many games we get out of him. That's the risk you take with Blake Griffin. Outside of that, no real top 100 guys on this team. Reggie Jackson is still dealing with ankle issues from that injury last season, but he is likely the locked-in starting point guard. Happy to take him with a last pick. And then on the wings, Luke Kennard, Reggie Bullock, Stanley Johnson, Glenn Robinson. Who's getting the bulk of the minutes there? Yeah, Bullock was great, really efficient last year, but doesn't contribute across the board in fantasy. It gives you scoring and, and almost nothing else. Uh, Canard, I think, is the highest upside of those guys, and you can take a flyer on him, while Stanley Johnson's efficiency and, and lack of overall basketball ability at this point has really been holding him back. But at this at this stage, that could just be a complete mess, and I don't think there's a, a tremendous amount of upside in those Pistons guys for this upcoming season. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it very much. His show is Locked on Fantasy Basketball, top of the iTunes charts, premier fantasy basketball show in the country. Make sure you grab it. Put it in. Follow it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Remember, Vivid Seats is a sponsor. You can download the app Vivid Seats on Apple or Google. Use the promo code Locked On, and you get $20 off your first purchase of $200 or more. Two teams are in the books. Pretty interesting. Cleveland and Detroit will check in with Indiana and New York before we do Philadelphia and Orlando. Indiana losing Paul George a year ago was one of the surprise teams. They are now thought of universally as a top five team. Could they break into the top three? They made great pickups of Tyreek Evans as well as Doug McDermott. Let's hear what Locked On Pacers has to say in the season preview. What's up, Lockdown NBA? Uh, it's Tony East, one of the hosts of Lockdown Pacers. Uh, I'm a columnist for the West New Nevels Community News, and on the other line is my co-host. Adam Friedman, also one of Lockdown Pacers hosts, uh, writer of IndyCornrows.com, and uh, we're going to preview 
the Pacers for you guys in the Lockdown NBA channel. I've actually been on the channel once before, so you might have heard my voice, but probably not. Yes, let's get right to it, though. Um, so the two or three biggest storylines heading into camp. There's going to be a lot of stuff here, really. Um, but the number one thing, and I know you and Kaylin uh, did not have this as your number one thing, but it's my number one thing, is basically – uh, the two young centers of the future, Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, can they play together and how effectively can they do it? Yeah, that's my number one by far. That's got to be my, at least that was my number one in the a podcast you, you referred to that I did on Monday, October, what, first? That was my number one kind of storyline for that. It wasn't hers. Uh, you want me to get my number two and just kind of go back and forth? Go ahead. We'll bounce them off. So number two I had is the expiring contracts. The Pacers have, oh, I, top my head, I think it's seven or eight guys on expiring deals basically with one year left and my kind of concern is what is going to happen you know in terms of chemistry is there going to be this fight for stats especially if the team doesn't play well and it struggles at times will there be a chemistry issue with last year they were really kind of a really good cohesive unit but this year is there going to be too much egos for money out there yeah that could certainly happen last year chemistry was a big thing that propelled them to success if people get selfish or you know the over hanging cloud of contract expirings get in the way that could really hurt it. Um, but it could also help them because guys play better in a contract year. And, you know, for the best case scenario for this team, that could be part of it is that, you know, I, uh, you know, everybody clicks again, like last year, the bench is improved. You know, a lot of, they had three rotation players go to China. They replaced Lance Stevenson with Tariq Evans. They replaced Joe Young with Aaron holiday. They replaced Al Jefferson with Kyle Quinn and they replaced Damian Wilkins slash Glenn Robinson, the third with, Doug McDermott, I really think that the best-case scenario this team could win 50 to 55 games. I guess the one area I look at is Miles Turner because he's theoretically eligible for, what, the five-year, $190 million max makes an all-NBA team. So I wonder if he gets off the slow start again, doesn't have the stats again, if he becomes a little more selfish because he wants to get the guard numbers to get kind of a really big contract. Because he's kind of the big player out there for the Pacers, at least. Yeah, and if he doesn't jump at all and some of the other guys stagnate and this new bench doesn't fit, you know, they could easily drop to the to a, you know, a porous 41 wins or something. I mean, last year they won 48, but they had the point differential of a 45 win team if some of that clutch magic wears off, they could be, you know, right around that or even worse, you know. And and they did have pretty good health last year, so if that decreases a little bit, you know, it could lead to a worse scenario than we're expecting. So is that your uh your worst case scenario for this team? Injuries just kind of catch up uh, as like the league well, average. No, I, catch think up injuries, I think injuries is kind of a cop out, but like, you know, say, say that Tyreek isn't as big of an impact as everybody thinks like him and Vic doesn't work together. Then all of a sudden, if no one really jumps, you're looking at a similar team, but you know, the chemistry would change everything. So then on the other side, if they're all healthy, what's kind of the best case? Yeah. 50 to 55 wins. Like I said, they could easily win one to two rounds in the playoffs. I mean, they could easily get to the conference finals if things break their way. I think if everybody's healthy and Tyreek is what what he was last year in Memphis, plus a combination of his kind of New Orleans days, they could get as far as the NBA Finals. I would doubt that happens. I would say it would take the middle second round playoff 50 wins if I had a guess right now. But they could get to 55 wins in NBA Finals if everything breaks right, every, like every single thing. Absolutely. Um, and the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. I think we both have the same answer for this. That's Miles Turner, correct? Ooh, I might say DeMontis Sabonis. That's interesting. I actually thought maybe I should say Sabonis when I was saying that sentence. For me with Turner, it's like so far everybody's thought of him as this guy oozing potential. This is the year that everybody expects him to be talented and impactful. If it doesn't happen, people could start thinking of him as not necessarily this oodles of potential unicorn, but instead just an average starting center. But I like the Sabonis pick as well. Yeah, I agree with you on Turner 100% that, you know, there there's expectations for him that he has to meet or exceed, which is always hard. But I think Sabonis, in a sense, uh, is still underrated, right? I mean, he didn't start for the team last year, so he's still not really known in the, you know, if you're not a Pacer fan or not really versed in the NBA, he's still not, like, NBA known, where I feel like Turner is sort of a little NBA known out there because he has some highlights, stuff like that, where Sabonis could... I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a scenario where Sabonis overtakes Turner because he has some great chemistry with the starters and just becomes a starting center. I doubt it happens, but that could happen, and that could sort of vault him. And I think he's got potential that is not as high as Turner's ceiling, but his floor is probably lower than Turner's could be, and that's why he could kind of vault into the starting lineup. Yep, and Adam, I'll lob this next one to you to start. Uh, who do you think on this team could have their career trajectory be the impact of the most this season, either good or bad? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, that's a good one. Oh man, I gotta think about this one a little more. I guess 
I can go if you're not ready. Well, so is, is Oladipo's career directory already set up? I guess very high I mean, upward. Yeah, right. Because I mean, that's, this this is the year, I guess this is the year where we learn is Oladipo going to continue to get better and take you know he took a step last year. Right? He went from whatever you want to call him a borderline starter in the league to an All NBA top twenty player. Right. So now the next level is taking that and going to a first or second team All NBA player top 10 and I don't know if it gets quite there but it's can he take the step towards that and you know he's only 26 so by 28 could he be the fourth or fifth best guard in the league and that's sort of where he needs to get Vic's probably my answer too uh and you know if his health reverts or some of his shooting regresses it could drop his career trajectory a little bit the other guy that I was thinking about before you answered Vic was Doug McDermott um and the reason he's a good answer is probably because they're the only two answers everybody on this team's around 30 and their trajectory is kind of set already or they're really young and you know it's hard to say what's going to happen. But McDermott, you know, didn't really live up to the lottery pick potential, but he's still a good player. Uh, he really fits in and, and thrives this year. He could start to look like an impactful guy instead of just a dude who can only shoot, but we'll have to see. Uh, rookie-wise, the the guys, uh, depending on if he gets cut or not, Elijah Stewart as well as Aaron Holiday and uh, Alizé Johnson are the rookies. Uh, I doubt any of them play much. Holiday might play like 300 to 400 minutes, but there's just not a lot of minutes for any of those guys, especially on a team trying to compete. I would say no. Move on. Next question. <laughs> yes, uh, the rookies will not be a thing in Indiana, barring catastrophic injuries. So let's just get right to it. Your best guys and how the season ends, Adam. What you got for me? Um, well, I guess I previewed it pretty already. I actually think it ends in a five or six game loss to the Celtics, either in the second or Eastern Conference Finals. Second round of Eastern Conference Finals, if I had to guess. Yep, I would go with uh, forty-eight to fifty wins uh, and a second round exit to someone uh, the, the first or second seed in the Eastern Conference, depending on who that may be. Although I do think they can compete in the playoffs. It just you know it comes down to can they can they get the breaks? We saw that they're a good playoff team last year, so it should be interesting to watch. But uh, thanks for having us on, everybody on Lock on NBA, uh, and check out Lockdown Pacers for the rest of the season to keep up with this fun team as they grow. My gut tells me that Indiana or Milwaukee is going to be in the top three. In the Eastern Conference, something is not going to be right in Toronto, Boston, or Philadelphia the way we're looking at it. The points gain projection for Indiana with their additions is pretty strong. Uh, Indiana adding Doug McDermott and adding Tyreek Evans, both of which are uh, Doug McDermott's a .3 points game player. Tyreek Evans is an even player. I love teams that don't have negative players. Thaddeus Young and Corey Joseph are the only negative players on this roster. Darren Collison led the league in three-point shooting last year. I don't know if that's uh, something he can replicate. But with that, here's where Indiana sits in our pro- in our projections uh, this year. They come out to be overall uh, projected to be the fourth-best offensive team and the fifth-best East. Uh, defensive team in the Eastern Conference, and they come in as fifth, but uh, tied with Milwaukee, both knocking on the door with almost no separation between them, Boston, and Philadelphia. Overall, have Indiana as the eighth-ranked offense, 11th-ranked defense. So the way our points game projections, Toronto is just in a different stratosphere Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, and Indiana are almost the exact same. Indiana uh, tied with Milwaukee for that 4-5 or five spot, but with almost no separation. That's why my gut feels that way. From a fantasy standpoint, Indiana's led by Victor Oladipo. What else do they have, Josh Lloyd? Victor Oladipo was the breakout fantasy star last season, but can he do it again this year? I'm a little bit cautious with him. Some people are reaching inside the top 10 for Victor Oladipo. I don't think he's going to be able to do that because so much of his value last season was based on a massive increase in steals and blocks. And if those numbers can't hold and if the efficiency drops off, then he might struggle to be a top 15 guy. Still very strong in the second round, but I wouldn't be taking him in that uh, top 10 area. Tyreek Evans joins the team. I don't think he leaves uh, or he's going to be able to put up the numbers he put up in Memphis, but still very strong. And I think at the end of the year, he'll end up with more minutes per game than Darren Collison and handle the ball quite a bit in that second unit. Think about uh, how Will Barton played last year in Denver. I can see Tyreek doing a similar thing for Indiana. Miles Turner was a massive uh, hype guy last year, really failed to live up to it. I don't see him being able to get back to that even hype level. Some people are you know, going pretty hard in on Turner grabbing him in the top 30. His ADP is actually 44. I don't think he's going to get to that level. I worry about the impact of Sabonis. I don't think he's going to be able to up his usage, especially with Tyreek now on board. And he just seemed disinterested in terms of rebounding. Now, he put up a massive game to start last season. The concussion could have been an issue, and efficient big men are hard to find. But I do think that he could be a disappointment again. 
Darren Collison and Thad Young are both low upside players who you can look at as specialists in fantasy, whereas DeMontis Sabonis, I think is a solid late round pick, but getting the minutes and his lack of defensive stats could be things that hold him back for this upcoming season. Are you ready? Every group has one. Every group you've ever been in has the one guy. He arrives at the bar with the whole group, and every, it, the party changes. That's our Knicks host, James Marcato. Here it comes, your New York Nick preview, which will be different than any other preview you hear on this show. What's up, everybody? This is James Marcita, a.k.a. Def Jam Gundy, host of Locked On Knicks, and I'm here to get you caught up on what's going on with the Knicks heading into the 2018-19 season. Let's talk about a couple of the biggest storylines as we head into the regular season. The first is that the Knicks have a brand new head coach, David Fisdale. A big deal for any organization, but especially so for the Knicks. They've burned through coaches like it's a good thing that you want to do. David Fisdale is their seventh coach in the last 10 years. A list that includes such luminaries as Derek Fisher, Jeff Hornacek, and Kurt Rambis. They need to start establishing consistency and an identity, and hopefully that starts now. Almost every new coach in the NBA comes in with an edict to change the culture, but rarely is that as necessary as it is with this Knicks team, especially coming off some coaches who have struggled to grasp both the modern game and how to stay out of the tabloids. Luckily, Fisdale has shown some promise there. It seems like he quote-unquote gets it. First of all, he's making the Knicks aware of their rich history. Don't laugh if you're not a Knicks fan. The Knicks do have a rich history. David Fisdale has brought in Knicks legends like Patrick Ewing and Walt Clyde Frazier, something that you'd think would be a no-brainer, but has somehow never happened for as long as I've been a Knicks fan, which has been a very long time. And also, it seems like the players are already buying in. They're saying all the right things, echoing his talking points. They're talking about his you-catch-what-you-kill ethos, which is... That basically you earn your playing time. It's not just handed to you because you're a lottery pick. (coughs) They're talking a lot about playing positionless basketball, one of David Fisdale's favorite talking points. And they, by all accounts, have gotten in great shape this offseason. This is something that every team says, but David Fisdale comes from that Miami Heat program, which is famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, for getting their players in tip-top shape. And it looks like he's brought that to the team this year and that the young Knicks are into it. The second major storyline heading into the season is the point guard battle. We'll talk more about the Knicks' youth in a minute, but right now Trey Burke, Emmanuel Moutier, and Frank Nilakina, their second-year guard out of France, are all competing for minutes at point guard. It's complicated by Frank Nilakina being extremely versatile on defense and getting lots of burn at the two as well as the three because he can capably guard all three positions and sometimes even the four. But the question becomes... Is that the best thing for his development? Other questions around this point guard battle. Is Moutier on his way out of the league? Or can Fisdale work some of his magic on him and get him to stop falling down on his drive to the rim? Is the elite mid-range shooting that Burke showed last year legit? Or is he going to regress? These questions are going to keep getting asked for the foreseeable future. And they figure to be extremely interesting as they influence how Fisdale doles out minutes at the point guard position. The final storyline heading into the season that I want to talk to you guys about, I'll touch on it quickly. I got to because he's the face of the franchise. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and his looming return from a torn ACL. I'm sure you guys know that Chris Stapps tore his ACL last year. When will he come back? That's the big question. Estimates range from roughly around Christmas to possibly missing the entire season. And thankfully, everyone from the organization to KP himself is not in a rush to put a date on it. It seems like they're going to do the right thing and let him recover, not rush to get him back out there on the court. The second question around that is, though, what will he look like when he returns? Will he seem healthy enough to attract free agents? Will he look like a shell of his former self? The smart money is on him being pretty damn rusty when he comes back, but we really won't know until he gets out on the court, and when that is, is anyone's guess. When you talk about a best-case scenario for this year's Knicks team, this is a little bit contentious among Knicks fans. But in my opinion, I think one thing they got to do is lose a bunch of games. As painful as that might be to hear if you are a Knicks fan. I think they need to secure a high draft pick for what figures to be the last time in a while 
if KP comes back anything like his former self. Porzingis had the Knicks playing like a 500 team last year. When he went down, they played like literally the worst team in the league by their win percentage. That's how good he is. He can drag a bunch of scrubs to respectability. And if he comes back at close to full strength, the Knicks will not be in the lottery again next offseason. Now, why is that important? They need to stack up assets to compete with the Sixers and the Celtics. Those two teams aren't going anywhere anytime soon, and they've got more assets than the Knicks. Let's face it, the Knicks need to gather as many of these blue-trip, cost-controlled assets as they possibly can. Key there being cost-controlled, rookie-deal, blue-chippers. At the same time, and this is honestly more important than draft position, but they're kind of right up there for me, they need to develop the young guys. Kevin Knox, their first-round draft pick out of Kentucky, who's flashed an impressive array of skills, including running the open court like a gazelle. He's got some streaky three-point shooting, but has shown the ability to get really hot from there from time to time. He's flashed excellent rebounding ability. He can attack a scrambling defense as a secondary initiator. Then you've got Frank Nilakina, their second-year player. He's a defensive demon with fantastic vision who just seems to make the team better whenever he's on the court. But he needs to show more, much more aggressiveness offensively, and he needs to knock down a higher percentage of open shots, especially three-pointers. We've got Mitchell Robinson, an athletic freak who can tag a guy rolling to the rim, then recover out to the three-point line and block a shot from downtown. He hoovers rebounds, but he played no college ball. How quickly can he adapt to the NBA game? Finally, we've got Alonzo Trier, an undrafted slasher out of Arizona, who's had a couple of eye-opening performances in Summer League and the preseason. The good news is that the Knicks can both suck enough to get a high draft pick while all these guys show a lot of promise as they develop. Both of these things can happen, and in my opinion, that's the best-case scenario for the Knicks. On the other hand, the worst-case scenario would look something like this. Developmental minutes, which I just said are very important, they'll be wasted on one-year rentals and vets like Hazonia and Moutier. Everyone needs a shot to play, especially if they play an intense fast-break style Uh, like Fisdale has said they're going to. So I don't mind if these guys do play, but minutes for Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee, they can't come at the expense of Kevin Knox. Minutes for Emmanuel Moutier cannot come at the expense of Frank Nilakina. These guys need to be allowed to play through mistakes. The second point of a worst-case scenario would be Fisdale not being the guy that you need to lead you into the future. He'll lose the team somehow. Maybe we'll have outbursts from players who don't get enough time. Maybe the same mistakes will be made in the final week of the season as were made in the first week of the season. Or he shows himself to be tactically inept or stuck in old school ways like his predecessor, Jeff Hornacek. Finally, we're talking about worst case scenario. This will include the Knicks front office acting hastily and trading assets for vets in a desperate bid to win now ahead of the natural timeline that they've set for themselves with all of this young talent. It's too early to do any sort of trades that take assets away. They can't push their chips to the center of the table yet. Quick fixes have brought down too many Knicks regimes of the past, and they must avoid making these same mistakes. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season is second-year guard Frank Nilakina. Outside of some of the most diehard Knicks fans, most people think he sucks, let's be honest. But he doesn't suck. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's a defensive demon, and more people are going to recognize this as he adds enough to his offensive game for the casual fan to realize that he's not a joke. The player whose career trajectory is most impacted by this upcoming season, either for good or for bad, is Emmanuel Moutier, and in this case, I think it's going to be for the worst, but we'll see. He hasn't improved at all in a single facet of his game in the entire time that he's been in the NBA, outside of maybe free throw shooting, right? So if he doesn't do something soon, he could very well find himself out of the league next year when his rookie deal expires. When you're talking about rookies who are going to have an impact, we've mentioned these guys already, but let's review them very quickly. Kevin Knox, He's super young. He turned 19 in August, but he's also super talented. He was the ninth overall pick in the draft, and he'll get every opportunity to step into the gaping void at small forward, and he'll also spend some time at the four. Then we've got Mitchell Robinson, who figures to perhaps spend some time in the G League as he's extremely raw, but he's got the makings of a rim-running, shot-blocking, rebound-devouring beast along the lines of a Clint Capella, Rudy Gobert, 
DeAndre Jordan. I know those are best-case scenarios, but when you watch this kid play, if you haven't watched him play yet, his tools are out of control. If he can harness them, watch out. Then we've got Alonzo Trier. He's on a two-way contract. He went undrafted due to some PED scandals in college, but he's making a serious case for himself to be on the 15-man roster. The Knicks have a lack of guys who can break down a defense off the dribble, and he's showing that he might have that ability at the NBA level. If you ask me what my best guess for how this season turns out is, I'm going to tell you somewhere between 25 to 30 wins for the New York Knicks. Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson will flash star potential, but struggle with consistency, as most rookies do. Frank Nilakino will remain a defensive terror and make some, but not a ton of progress offensively. He just turned 20 at the end of July. He He's still growing. He grew an inch and a half in the offseason, put on 15 pounds of muscle, and he's still younger than a lot of the top prospects from this year's draft class. They're trying to groom some point guard skills for him, even if he's not the point guard of the future, and that kind of thing takes time. Kristaps Porzingis is going to come back rusty, but he's going to show enough that the Knicks are no longer a joke when it comes to them being mentioned as a desirable destination for free agents. People are going to want to play with this kid. And finally, I think David Fisdale is going to get his guys to buy into his system. I think the Knicks are going to run hard. I think they're going to give great effort on defense, even if the results aren't always there. And he's going to establish himself as the guy who's going to lead the Knicks into the future. All right, that's it for me. Thank you guys so much for listening to this segment. I'm the host of Locked On Knicks, James Marcita. I just love him. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I just flip on Locked On Knicks. He makes me laugh within the first 30 seconds. Makes me feel good about what's going on. Gives you a good chuckle. Super fun show. Does a great job with his voicemails. All good there. Checking in with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd on the Knicks. The New York Knicks, so much of it is to do with Chris Stapps Porzingis. Not a player that I'd really be looking at drafting, given the fact that there's a chance he doesn't play at all this season. Uh, outside the top 100 would be the zone for Porzingis, even though he is a top 20 guy when fully healthy. Ennis Cantor stands to benefit significantly. He was great for the Knicks last season. Should be getting yet plenty of touches down low. High efficiency, high free throws, good rebounder, solid scorer. Defensive stats are lacking, we know that, but the other numbers should put him pretty solidly uh, with a chance to beat that ADP of 81. I really like Mario Hazonia, who I think is going to start this season. Uh, He was a top 100 guy in 26 minutes per night. For the last three months of the year with Aaron Gordon out, should be able to get at least that similar sort of role. It's nice steals, okay rebounder, can get assists as well, hit some threes. I think he is a very, very good last couple of rounds type of guy who should be a top 100 guy, while Tim Hardaway Jr. will also see his usage bump this season with Porzingis out, and he is strong in that 70 to 80 type of a range of a draft. High scoring, not a huge amount else, and a real efficiency hit. Mitchell Robinson, I love him as a late-round sleeper. I think he comes in almost immediately as the backup center, can block you 1.5 to 2 shots per game, rebounds, field goal percentage. That's all a real boost there. So he's very, very interesting as a late-round pick. Well, Trey Burke and Frank Nilakina are both guys that I look at. We don't know who's going to win the starting point guard job. Burke is probably a little bit more as a fantasy-friendly guy, but I don't think that his shooting from last season will sustain. Both of those have limited upside. While the rookie Kevin Knox will almost undoubtedly start, he will get a lot of usage, but efficiency is going to be a problem. Rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. He doesn't do very much in those categories. Fine as a late pick, but I don't think we should be expecting massive fireworks out of Kevin Knox. But love him as a late-round pick. And I'd probably prioritize him over, say, a Burke or a Nilakina for the Knicks as a late-round flyer. I just realized that James got me so flustered, I forgot to give you points gained on the Knicks. The projection on the New York Knicks are that they are the 13th-ranked offense and 14th-ranked defense in the Eastern Conference, the 14th team overall, 26th offensively, 27th defensively if Chris Stapps-Prazingis never plays this year. So, really, the fun is James Marcata. Two more to go. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Orlando Magic. Our final day will be tomorrow on the program where we will have a mixed match of Eastern and Western Conference with Minnesota, Toronto, Milwaukee, Washington, San Antonio, and Golden State. Oh, the two number one seeds tomorrow will lead off the show. Our last stop will be Philadelphia. That means we're going to go to Orlando first. And here's Philip Rossman, right? 
Hello, this is Philip Rossenreich, the host of Locked On Magic. You can follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. I'm here on Locked On NBA to preview the Orlando Magic. Yes, they still exist, even though it's been a while since they've last been to the playoffs. And that's really still one of the big storylines for this team entering the 2019 season. When is this team going to turn the corner? It's It's been a long journey since the Magic traded Dwight Howard six years ago. They've gone through the Rob Hennigan era and, and, and some of the poor decisions that were made there, and they're still paying the price for those decisions. In fact, the Magic, a team that has had several top draft picks over the last six years, and and it doesn't, didn't have a lot of cap room this summer. They just didn't have the ability to go out and sign anyone. The, the biggest move that they made was to re-sign Aaron Gordon, who, 22-year-old, had a breakout season last year with 17 points per game. They weren't about to let another young star escape their clutches like they did with, say, Tobias Harris or Victor Oladipo. So the Magic brought back Aaron Gordon. They continued to add to their core, drafting Mohamed Bamba, and that's really it. So the next question that the Magic have to ask themselves is... How much better are they going to be with virtually the same roster returning that won just 25 games last year? I know it's going to come up uh, what needs to happen for this team to have the best case scenario. And in my prompt, it says, don't say stay, don't say stay healthy. But the honest truth is, yeah, this Magic team needs to stay healthy. They lost more than 200 games to injury last year, including Terrence Ross, a starter at the time, going down to injury in November, and Jonathan Isaac, their first round pick from last year, also going down to injury in November, they both missed more than 50 games combined. Terrence Ross didn't come back until the very end of the season after getting injured in, in, around Thanksgiving. Jonathan Isaac got injured on Veterans Day, November 11th, and was in and out of the lineup for most of the rest of the season until about March. Very much a lost season for both of those key players, and the Magic just simply didn't have the depth to withstand it. But I won't just say stay healthy. The big, the big thing for the Magic to take the next leap or to take the best key scenario, and yes, I'm going to say it, maybe even contend for the playoffs, is they need their young players to take a big leap forward. They've got a new coach in Steve Clifford who, if you follow the Charlotte Hornets or if you listen to Locked On Hornets, you probably know that he's a big disciplinarian. He's a big guy that, that preaches the very fundamental things. Uh, and, and his Hornets teams, who I admired a lot as, as a rebuilding Magic team, uh, just did the simple things very, very well. They rarely beat themselves. So you've got a coach in there that's that's hopefully going to instill a foundation for them to grow from. But at the end of the day, this is still about the players' growth. The Magic need Aaron Gordon to take another leap from his 17 points per game to really become the star of this team. And in fact, if the Magic have any designs of making the playoffs, they need Jonathan Isaac to be not just a redshirt rookie, which is essentially what he is. They need him to be a real player both on the offensive end, where he really struggled last year, and on the defensive end, where he is already pretty good for a kid his age. The worst-case scenario for the Magic is, of course, this not happening. Aaron Gordon can, you know, maybe continues to score, but is still inefficient, um, isn't able to get others involved, isn't able to improve his passing. Last year, he did improve his three-point shooting to 33%, but shot less than 29% from beyond the arc. Uh, in the latter half of the season, as he dealt with his own injuries, he played, uh, he missed uh, more than 20 games as well. Um, if he's unable to take another step up to, to, to truly look like an all-star, this Magic team now looks very much like the one that they did, that they did last year. They still don't have cap room and they're still relying on some lottery luck to get ready. And of course, it says in my prompt, don't say injuries, but Jonathan Isaacs already sprained his ankle once this season and the Magic don't want to see that again. My player most likely be thought of differently at the end of the season is Jonathan Isaac. I am all in on Jonathan Isaac. A lot of people around the country didn't get to see him play last year because, again, he played only 27 games. He missed a good chunk of the season, um, spraining his ankle again on November 11th, very, very early on. So in this very celebrated rookie class, now a sophomore class, Isaac was completely forgotten. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was fantastic, obviously. Uh, Jason Tatum was fantastic. And while Jonathan Isaac, I don't think, is quite at their level right now, especially on the offensive end, I think he can more than hold his own. In my estimation, Jonathan Isaac is already the best defensive player on the Orlando Magic. He said it even at one point last year that NBA defense was pretty easy, which is saying something from a 20-year-old rookie. Defense is usually the hardest thing for young players to grasp. And honestly, Isaac already loves to play defense. It's not just about his length, which which helps him recover when he does make mistakes because he still makes plenty of mistakes. 
He is just good at deflecting passes, being everywhere. The Magic had their best defensive rating when Jonathan Isaac was on the floor. In fact, um, the defensive rating when Isaac was on the floor was four points per 100 possessions better than when he was off the floor. They were a completely different defensive team when he was on the floor. And I suspect that not only is Jonathan Isaac super important to this team in its future, I suspect that if Isaac is healthy, he's going to start opening night. And I think we're going to see over the course of the season, as his offensive game continues to develop, that this kid can be really, really special. I think he has future All-NBA defensive first team written all over him. The player whose career trajectory is going to be most impacted by this season, either good or bad, is going to be Nikola Vucevic. Nikola Vucevic, obviously the Orlando Magic drafted Mohamed Bamba with their first round pick last year, and that kind of signals the end of Nikola Vucevic's time in Orlando. Not only that, it's Nikola Vucevic's contract year. I suspect that he'll still put up his numbers, 16 points per game, around 10 rebounds per game. He'll probably be a little bit better three-point shooter, but the Magic are likely going to move him at the trade deadline. It's time to move on, and so I think if you're a playoff team looking for some backup center help, you're going to be calling your Orlando Magic to grab Nikola Vucevic. And, of course, Mohamed Bamba, a big part of this team's future. He's still very, very raw, still very, very skinny. I don't think he'll have a huge immediate impact for the team. When he's in the game, he'll block some shots. He'll hit some threes. He'll look really impressive. He'll have his impressive moments. But I think the Magic are going to slow play him and develop him very, very slowly, allow his body to kind of grow in, grow in a little bit and use him off the bench primarily. Bamba will make an impact for this team but it won't be immediate. Obviously, the Magic didn't make a lot of changes from last year's team that won 25 games. Being healthy should help them win a few more games. I have the Magic settling in at around 31 wins. That 31.5 over-under is like right on the money for me. I think they'll be in the low 30s for wins. Maybe some late-season chicanery gets them under the 30-win mark. Overall, I think this is a better team than they were last year, but not quite a playoff team yet. Be sure to check out Locked On Magic. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at LockedOnMagic. For LockedOnMagic, this has been Philip Rossenreich. I'll send it back to David. Thank you, Philip. I wish something good would happen for this franchise. It just seems like it's been a long time. Points gained looks at the Orlando Magic very similar to the way Philip does. 12th offensively, 11th defensively. Uh, 13th overall in the Eastern Conference for the, uh, that's in the conference overall, 25th offensively and 22nd defensively. Josh Lloyd with the fantasy take. Let's look at the magic. Nick Vucevic is a solid top 40 fantasy guy every season, but of course the specter of him getting traded looms large. We've heard Steve Clifford say that that's probably, or that may not happen, but there is still that risk associated. He's solid in the mid rounds, 58 ADP on Yahoo, and you get him now, I think that's a pretty good bargain. Aaron Gordon's shooting is all that's holding him back from being a top 50 player. He's getting uh, drafted a pick 43 on Yahoo. That might be a little bit high considering how much that shooting did tail off. Not a great defensive stats guy either. Whereas John Isaac, one of the most uh, hyped guys coming into this season, I think if he does get the start, he he will be a top 100 player. High steals, high blocks, and if the offense comes around and we get some sort of efficiency with hitting threes, you know the top 60 is really in reach for John Isaac. And I could legitimately see a scenario where he finishes the season ranked higher than both Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier. It's probably not a likely one, but it can happen. As for Fournier... Upside's low, but downside is uh, is pretty uh, uh, restricted as well. He's going to be in that 75 to 90 type of range. He's going to do a ton of scoring on this team. Few assists, okay efficiency, like him there. DJ Augustine, probably the starting point guard at this stage. Not a high upside type of a guy, but absolutely a late round guy you can look for. Whereas if Jaron Grant does get that role, he'd be in that same sort of boat. Terrence Ross and John Simmons and Mo Bamba, probably not standard league fantasy guys for this season. Bumber, of course, yeah, will block a lot of shots when he gets an opportunity, but with Steve Clifford notoriously hard on rookies, I just find it hard to think that Bumber is going to get enough playing time to matter, whereas Ross and Simmons, I think, are going to uh, they're going to suffer with Isaac being healthy for a whole season and probably not guys that I want to target in fantasy drafts. One last stop. It's Philadelphia. Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer, beat writer for a long time, has just gotten back from China. And he gives us the report on everything 76ers. Welcome to Locked On 76ers. I'm your host, Keith Pompey. How you doing? Let's talk about the 76ers season preview. You know, you know, this, this, you know, uh, 
you know, this should be a pretty good season for the Sixers. You know, I don't know if they'll win 52 games. I mean, there's a lot of huge expectations over this team. But there's a lot of the unknown. I mean, a lot of the unknown. Everybody goes Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. People want to throw numbers out there, see what they're going to do. You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's tough for me because it's not like the Golden State Warriors or, you know, a team that just has the same players. I mean, they're always shuffling in different role players. So, like, two, two of the biggest storylines going into camp, you know, this year is, one, is Markel Folks. Did Markel Folks learn how to shoot the ball? Did, or did he get it back? Because he was a quality shooter at the University of Washington, you know, but once he got to the league, you know, his shot was broken. I mean, he had the yips, you know, it was some mental things. Some people, you know, talk about he injured his shoulder, but, they, you know, it, that doesn't keep him out for that long. So that's the main storyline this season. Secondly, how, what are they going to do with the loss of Ersan Ilvasova, Marco Bellinelli, the losses? Are they going to be able to replace those two, two guys? I mean, you know, we all know what Joel Embiid is going to do. He's going to play like his hair is on fire. We know what Ben Simmons can do. But to me, the question mark is who's going to replace Marco and Ersan and what? is Markel Folks going to do. Now, what needs to happen in a best-case scenario is that Markel Folks is going to live up to being the first overall pick. If Markel Folks can do that, and if he can get his shot right, you know, the Sixers would be helpful. I mean, you know, he, he, he looked okay in the preseason against Melbourne. He looked good against Melbourne United. He looked, you know, okay again against uh, the Indiana Pacers. But then he struggled against the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, he was, he wasn't like, he didn't stand out at all like the way you wanted him to. So I think best case scenario, he has to play at a, an elite level. I'm not saying all-star level, but an elite level. And the worst-case scenario would be if Markel's shot is broken. You know, and also if if Wilson Chandler, who the Sixers acquired in the off-season trade, and Mike Muscala, who the Sixers acquired in off-season trade, if, if they don't help lead that second unit, it's going to be tough for the Sixers. You know, the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season, I think could be Mike Muscala. I think that the Sixers right now is a, are a good fit for him. You know, Mike Muscala was a guy who was a backup big in Atlanta, you know, he came in and he did role player things, yeoman things. The Sixers want him to do the same stuff here. But when you think of how they like having stretch fours and how those type of players catch a lot of love in this city, I think that that's a role that Mike could really fulfill. I mean, it's no coincidence. Guys come here and they typically have the best years of their careers. And I think that Muscala can do the same. You know, Muscala can do the same. I think the player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, is going to have to be Markel Folks. If Markel Folks struggles, people are going to call him a bust. They're going to doubt him. If Markel Folks excels, then that's going to... That's going to impact the Sixers on what they do going into free agency. Like, they may f- decide that, hey, he, Markel Folks is our third star. Because, see, the Sixers are trying to get a third star to go up, I mean, to not go up against, but they want a third star that they could pair with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So, if Markel Folks excels, 
then they may rethink that or they may go after, you know, role players and, you know, this and that. But if Markel Folk struggles, you know, people are going to start saying, you know, calling him a bust, that chatter is going to uh, talk. I mean, it's going to come up again. You know, the Sixers are going to possibly going to have to make some decisions on him uh, moving forward. Um, and they're also going to have to go after an all-star type caliber, caliber player in free agency to pair with the uh, Ben and Simmons and Joel Embiid. Now, the rookie who will have the biggest impact on the Sixers team is Landry Shamet. Landry Shamet was drafted 26 overall. Um, he was a point guard at Wichita State who the Sixers converted to shooting guard. And he can shoot. I mean, he can shoot. Um, you know, I hate to say this. It sounds crazy. But, you know, if the 70, if, if Markel Folks continues to struggle or if he struggles this season and the Sixers want to continue to bring J.J. Redick off the bench, I think Shamet could be a guy who can step in at the two and be a starter. I mean, I think that, you know, his shooting, it fits in well perfectly with Ben Simmons and um, Joel Embiid. Now, again, that's only if Markel Folk struggles. But, you know, in Shamet, he's a guy that is going to be able to give you a lot of minutes. My best get for the season, it's kind of hard to say that because, you know, Wilson Chandler, the top acquisition they received this offseason, only played like half a game. He had He wasn't even with the team on a trip to China. So... You know, it's, it's tough to say, but I guess if you have a gun to the head, I say, you know, I say they'll finish third in the East, um, third or fourth in the East. They'll probably win anywhere from 50 to 52 games. You know, a lot of people are saying that they're going to improve because MB is going to be better. They're going to do this and that. Well, they lost, like I said, in, in their opening, they lost Ursan and Marco. And when they got Ursan, they won the they went 20 and 3 and cuz he came with 23 games left in the season they went 20 and 3 and they won the final 16 games of the season so you know you know we have to figure out who else is going to step up for this team but i still have them finishing either third or fourth in the east but winning anywhere from 50 to 52 games all right thank you and have a great day You are Locked On 76ers, your daily Philadelphia 76ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So that's Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer beat writer, and our Locked On Sixers host. What does points gain say? Points gain says the Sixers are really good. Nothing crazy here, as them as the fifth-best offensive team in the Eastern Conference, which might be lower, and the third-best defensive team in the Eastern Conference behind Boston, and behind Toronto, which might turn out to be wrong if Joel Embiid plays all year. Overall, the 11th-ranked offense and the 4th-ranked defense gets them to be ranked as the uh, second team in the Eastern Conference, slightly ahead of the Boston Celtics. But as I've mentioned earlier, Boston, Philadelphia, Indiana, and Milwaukee are inseparable on these numbers. And it makes me think the Mike Budenholzer impact in Milwaukee will be significant. That wraps up day number four of our NBA preview show. Thanks very much. Hope you've enjoyed the other ones. If you haven't, go grab days one, two, and three, and we'll wrap it up for you on Friday. What a week it's been on Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.